0: Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Whatever happened to you yesterday, you had a better day than Kevin McCarthy, I think. So joining me on this Friday edition of the Bulwark Podcast, my colleague, Tim Miller. How are you, Tim?
1: You hate to see it, don't you, Charlie? I'm doing pretty good. The Nuggets lost last night, um, and really we're about to get swept, and so that's painful for me personally. But uh, a little schadenfreude, a little schadenfreude,
0: you know, more than than a little. So I actually had built my entire newsletter around what happened down in Florida with Ron DeSantis and sort of, you know, the politics of vengeance. So as I was going to bed last night, I'm thinking, hey, I'm in great shape. I'll be able to sleep in because I already have the newsletter written in and I have this great analysis of, you know, the (laughs) politics behind what Republicans are doing in Florida, where they have completely internalized the, the idea of retaliating against private companies for political stances and then you know of course i look at my phone which is always a mistake before you go to bed and i see that lordy lordy there were tapes (laughs) i should have warned you i should have warned you Mart sent me he didn't he doesn't
1: tell me anything so i'm not betraying any confidences but uh he did Send me a text with the booking on Maddow and just said, You might want to watch this. I think that you'll I think enjoy this. So I should have given you a warning that something was coming on Rachel Maddow. I feel bad about that. Then maybe you could
0: have been prepared for your loss of sleep. Well, as I wrote, so I realized that yeah, I'm gonna have to do Kevin McCarthy because it's uh Well, it's it's the biggest story. It's also just too delicious. I'm sorry. I just good. It's just so good. And as I realized, I mean, watching McCarthy over the last twenty four hours has been like you know peeling an onion of humiliation, and we're not and we're not done yet. So everybody knows the background of all of this, right? So we kind of knew some of it. You know, after January sixth, McCarthy had this spasm of of conscience. I mean, it faded very quickly, but I mean, he gave that speech on the floor of the House, and then yesterday morning. We had that rather, you know, bombshell report in the New York Times, you know, by uh, Alex Burns and Jonathan Martin about the comments that McCarthy and uh, Mitch McConnell had made to colleagues, how disgusted they were, how they were done with Trump, uh, how they, you know, really thought that he needed to go. That uh, McCarthy said he was going to tell him to resign. McConnell didn't say anything, which sort of confirmed the story, right? McConnell just kept his head down; he kept the head inside the turtle shell, and uh, but McCarthy obviously understands that his entire future depends on Trump's favor, right? I mean, his entire speakership, this is his entire focus of his life. So he had to reassure the audience of one down in Mar-a-Lago. They never said this. So he issues this blanket denial midday saying that the Times report was totally false and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, usually it doesn't happen in this compressed a fashion <laughs> by evening. If the reporters were interested in truth, they would have come to me for a comment. I wonder wonder why they didn't need to come to him for a comment. Hmm. And so it was like, okay, you've taken the bait. And they the, the two reporters go on Rachel Maddow's show and they said, "Yes, and we have audio tapes showing him saying exactly what he had just denied saying. So, let's play this, uh, this 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 re- recording in which he's on a, a conference call and he's having an exchange with Liz Cheney, which has its own elements of irony, which we will get to. So let's let's play the first one, because there's there's more this morning. Let's play the first one. Liz, you on the phone? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks, Kevin. Um, I guess first a question when, when we were talking about the 25th Amendment resolution. Um, yeah. And you asked, if, you know, what happens if it gets there after he's gone? Is, is there any chance, are you hearing, that he might resign? Is there any reason to think that might happen?
1: I've had a few discussions. My gut tells me no. Um, I'm seriously thinking of having
0: that conversation with him tonight. I haven't talked to him in a couple of days. Seriously thinking? Um, from what I know of him. I mean, you guys all know him, too. Do you think he'd ever back away? But nope. what what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to call him. My, this, this is what I think. Mm. Um, no one will pass the house. I think there's a chance he'll pass the Senate even when he's gone. Mm. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ramifications for that. Now, yeah. I haven't had a discussion with them that if he did design, would it not happen? Now, this is one personal fear I have. Um, I do not want to get into any, any conversation about Pence partying. I mean, the only discussion I would have with him is that I think this will pass, and it would be my recommendation we should hmm. um, Well, I mean, that would be my take, but I don't think he would take it. But I don't know. So, Tim, your initial take on that.
1: Well, I just want to start first with Liz Cheney, who I don't know. I don't have any special insight of where this audio came from, but let's just say whoever it was, (laughs) thank you, (laughs) a very thorough slow clap from me on deciding to leak this. I was just saying last night on the- She's saying it wasn't her,
0: just for the record.
1: Okay. Okay. Um. Sure. That sounds right. Uh, I get, it. Could have been. It could have been a birdie. You know. Could have been the deep state. Who knows? Who else mm-hmm. could have been on that call? Um, as I was saying last night on the live stream, um, about the before this uh, had come out, um, on the JD Vance text. Uh, did you see that his like law school yeah. buddy like leaked his text where he said Trump might be Hitler? I felt like we didn't have enough of that during the trump term i think that there were a lot of these guys who were sending texts that, that didn't match what they were saying publicly and i wish we would have had more text leaking because mm-hmm. I, you know in general i'm not for you know betraying confidences but you know, when someone as bad as trump has taken power and these guys are on tv apologizing for him i you know i think that the rules of decorum on these sorts of leaks are long or are long past and so i'm very happy that she leaked this uh, i'm very happy that kevin that that little Kevin just walked right into the trap. (laughs) I mean, that state to put out such an unequivocal statement. And you can tell that the best part of that for me, just as a strategic matter is he's like, what would Mr. Trump do? Right. And this statement is like exactly what Mr. Like McConnell went by the old school of politics, right? Uh, you know, I'm going to see how this plays out. You know, I'm going to be strategic. Kevin McCarthy went straight to the full-throated denial, the fake news, blah, blah, blah. And then he just gets
0: burned within an hour. Uh, that, I mean, that is that is so delicious on its own. I agree with all of that. I mean, the the fact is that he obviously didn't know there was a tape. Right. Otherwise, he would have been profoundly stupid. But I, I think the interesting thing about this is, and I, and I think Jonah Girl, Goldberg... Um, had an interesting take. And he says, I think there would be no more fitting end to Kevin McCarthy's dream of becoming speaker than the scandal of him being exposed as privately believing the right and moral thing. <laughs> so here's this brief moment where he knew what his duty was. He knew what his oath of office was. And uh, he got over it quickly. Um, yes, there's cowardice. But as I said last night, there's also you know some deep, deep cynicism there where he decided that uh, his, his ambition and power was more important than actually uh, doing his, his duty. You know, if, if in fact he loses the speakership uh, over this, it's not because he was caught flagrantly lying. I mean, we want to be very clear about this. Being caught in a flagrant lie in real time will not in itself be disqualifying that uh, in, in this Republican Party. We know that that's been established, but it comes down to the fact that the, the, the next speakership uh, is subject to the whim of Donald Trump. I mean, that's the reality, isn't it? He's, you know, if, if Donald Trump decides that this is that, that, that he was just too dumb or too disloyal, he's finished. He's toast. Then there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah. So first on the politics of this, um, to that point, to the speakership point,
1: um, the only thing that, that just doesn't give this a 10 out of 10 on the schadenfreude scale is, is that I, I don't think he loses his speakership over this. And here's why. Uh, this is my second J.D. Yep. I, I'm really yep. riled up about all J.D. Vance, too, as you can tell. It's okay. my second reference already. But but the, the Trump J.D. Vance endorsement, I, I feel like I, I sort of missed what I should have seen on this, and Sarah Longwell actually was right on mm-hmm. about this. Trump likes it when people humiliate themselves. Right in his defense grovel. right somebody that, that that tries to show some distance and some courage and then grovels back that that just kind of tickles the little dark spot inside Trump's soul because his father didn't love him uh, in a way that that the other stuff doesn't like so that really satisfies him so I, I think that you know McCarthy revealing that in private uh he he was was thinking about showing some courage but he didn't instead he you know is just You know, sort of got leashed back down to Mar-a-Lago, where where he would rub rub Trump's back. Um, I I think that actually. Probably satisfies Trump enough that he doesn't try to kill him over this. That's the
0: politics of this. Okay, let me give you a completely different take on all of that. So he likes people like Dr. Oz and JD Vance because they they have a certain celebrity status which he values disproportionately. So he kind of likes it when celebrities will admit that they were were wrong. Yeah. But but there's the flip side of him, which is that, and we've seen this over and over again, that Donald Trump also has a you know certain contempt for people who are too egregious in their toe licking. He looks Too down, slavish. he spy yeah. he likes poking them because what it is, it's, it's a sign of weakness. You're a, a loser. And he looks at Kevin McCarthy and there's nothing charismatic. There's nothing celebrity-like. The guy has not had a TV show. He's never had a best-selling book, right? He's just a toady. Did and, the Young yes, Guns book that he co-authored with Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor, no, was that not a best-seller? I'm pretty sure not. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet without looking it up that it was not a best-seller. But I mean, there's a certain, you know, now, yes, Donald Trump, like many narcissists, uh, like people who groveled in them, but they also despise them. And so, I, I think that that's the other dynamic at work here. So, yeah,
1: the other maybe may one, one other thing,
0: just on, yeah. the, on the on the substance. I, uh, you know, that, that's a little
1: bit of a parlor game about whether yeah, he, right. whether he'll stay the seekership. The other element, just really quick, on the parlor game is is that there isn't a great alternative, right? Uh, in a lot of these situations, I mean, Jim Jordan, I guess, is the, is the alternative, but Elise Stefanik, yeah, Elise, yeah, oh, well, I guess that's true. Um, but boy, that would be a quick rise, um, though. Yeah, I mean, she has she's demonstrated a shamelessness that and uh, willing to shiv people in the back. That is, it is, it is a superpower, absolutely. Um, that's a good parlor game to throw out there, at least um, you know, with the knife uh, in the kitchen uh, on uh, on on McCarthy. That's possible. Um, the, on the substance, though, he, he, cowardly Kevin kind of betrays his cowardice during that during that audio. I mean, it's good audio, right? Because uh, he's saying the words are right, but but he's hesitant. And just think back to how you felt on when, when was it, say January tenth or eleventh? You know, for, within a week of of the Capitol siege. And anger, you know, I, I I I felt just this deep, abiding rage about the fact that these guys allowed this to happen. That that Donald Trump incited it. That it was so unnecessary. That it was just a stain on the country. Um, the deaths, you know, the 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 injured, the police that that suffered injuries. I I have this rage, you know, that that Kevin didn't share in that audio, right? I, you know, he's saying to Liz. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to call Trump and do the right thing, but I I don't know that I was convinced, right? I don't know if I was on the Liz Cheney side of that call. You know, with my steely reserve and and a, and a, and a determination that something must be done. I don't think that I hang up and say that guy's going to do what he just told me he's going to do, right? I, that to me sounded, you know, kind of like a, a Kevin in his essence, right? A weaselly right. operator who is trying to tell Liz what she wants to hear. Telling Trump what he wants to hear, telling Jim Jordan what he wants to hear, uh, and just trying to survive um, his way through this. And 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 I think that is maybe the most revealing thing, just about about who Kevin is. And you know, the question I guess just is about whether that, how long he can
0: survive, you know, trying to walk that tightrope. So you mentioned the fact that and, and this is I think one of the uh delicious ironies of this particular um, moment is he's having this conversation with of all people in the universe Liz Cheney um as as you know and Sarah pointed this out Sarah Longwell tweeted this out um how infuriating this is Kevin McCarthy's casually discussing the 25th amendment telling Trump to resign and making sure that Pence won't pardon him with Liz Cheney only to weeks later kick Cheney out of leadership for saying the same <laughs> things he did. OK, so there yeah. you are. They agree. They have the exact same position. And Kevin McCarthy decides there's no place for Liz Cheney in leadership. In fact, there's no place for Liz Cheney in the Republican Party for believing exactly the same things that he said. OK, so uh, there's new she won't ta- move on. Charlie, that was her crime, right? She won't move on. <laughs> he moved on with about a million of fundraising, as you've written about, a million fundraising appeals touting Donald Trump. Well, anyway, there's more. Wait, there's more. The reporters obviously have uh, more audio tape. And this morning, CNN dropped some more of the tape, once again showing Kevin McCarthy saying explicitly, word for word, what he denied saying, less than 24 hours ago. Let's go to CNN. breaking news into CNN, we are now getting more stunning new audio obtained by the New York Times where House Minority Speaker Kevin McCarthy slams former President Trump for his role in the Capitol and the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Let's listen. But let me be very clear to all of you, and I've very clear. been very clear to the president. <laughs> he bears responsibilities for his words and actions. Mm-hmm. No ifs, ands, or buts. Mm. I asked him personally today, does he hold responsibility for what happened? Does he feel bad about what happened? He told me he does have some responsibility for what happened. Oh, um, really? And he needs to acknowledge that. Hmm. So there, you had a little bit of righteous anger, where uh, Kevin McCarthy very explicitly saying that Donald Trump told him he bore some responsibility. I suppose, in this context, we ought to recall that Kevin McCarthy has done everything possible to uh, stop this investigation, refusing to cooperate with this investigation, saying on multiple occasions that he has nothing to add to any of the public commentary about that. So uh, what do you make of that? Because that was obviously on a conference call, I believe it was January 11th. Lots of people tuned in and there's Kevin McCarthy, you know, and apparently he goes on uh, to say that, uh, uh, that he's he's done with him, you know. That he's that I mean that that quote that he's absolutely done with him. That uh, it's not defensible, and no one should defend him. That word responsibility. I, yeah. I'm not sure.
1: I'm not sure McCarthy. I'm sure. I'm not sure it means what McCarthy thinks it means. <laughs> uh, because responsibility requires accountability, right? Responsibility requires um, you know having to. Uh, uh, deal with the consequences of one's actions and not only did mccarthy show no interest in forcing donald trump to do that he has actually done the opposite ensured that he didn't require any responsibility as you pointed out when it comes to trying to block the one six committee when it comes to voting for impeachment defending the people that, you know, took a vote of conscience, that that wanted to try to hold him accountable within his caucus, who who did vote to impeach. Most of them are, have, are being purged. So, I, you know, again, I, I think that this is, what this reveals to me is that we knew more about these guys and the pickle that they were in. And that's about the nicest way you can put it, because they yeah. put themselves in this pickle. But we understood more about their trap than they understood about themselves. Because I, I do think that on January 11th, we're within five days of this trump is still is, is flailing they know impeachment's coming biden's coming in in nine days they think that they can be they think they might be rid of this guy and 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 i think that kevin was probably speaking honestly about how he felt right that he felt at that time that trump needs all responsibility he needs to take accountability you know, maybe that'll actually help the party. They didn't know, like the polls weren't out yet, right? I, they didn't right. know how bad this was going to hurt the Republican brand. They, they thought they were thinking worst case scenario, right? Like maybe this, maybe we go down to Bush-Katrina levels or something. And, you know, we need him to speak out to this to save us, right? So it was, I think, of both a moral and a practical position that he was taking at that moment, January 11th. Um, but, but we all knew those of us who, who, are not, who had not been making this, this moral sacrifice for the last five years, uh, we had the clarity to be able to see that they were stuck in this trap. They were stuck with him. I, he, he, they were in the boat with him, and he is in the boat with them. And, and that, that they were going to have to come groveling back to him. If they wanted to stay in the good graces of their voters and, and and that they were all cowards and that none of them had the spine to stand up to them. Liz Cheney ended up being the only one and I guess Kinzinger and Cheney yeah. ended up being the only ones who, who steeled themselves and said, no, we're going to change. We're getting out of the boat. Right. And, and so I, I think that it was very predictable that they would end up com, com, come groveling back. Uh, you know, because because they uh, ended up being hostage to to the to the very
0: people that got them. Well, I mean, obviously that's true. Um, they did go back. I mean, I, at the time, I thought this was a perfect opportunity to take one of the off ramps, one of the many off ramp yeah. opportunities that they had. Uh, this being the, you know, obviously the clearest that was and and, and acknowledged as as such by even even by Kevin McCarthy and I, I I do wonder what the moment was when they decided uh, cynically that uh no we're we're not going to uh, we're not going to do that. Did somebody hand them a poll of the base probably, but again, this soundbite that's been released today you know has this very, very clear soundbite of Kevin McCarthy saying that I've had it with this guy. what he did is unacceptable. Nobody can defend that, and nobody should defend it and then of course, he spent the next sixteen months. Uh, humiliating himself in every way possible, including having to kowtow to Marjorie Taylor Greene. And here we are. So I was on a a Canadian um, Sirius XM interview this morning, and they were asking, is there any indication that Donald Trump's, uh, you know, hold on the party is slipping? And I said, well, not yet, because in order for that to happen, somebody has to stand up and hold him accountable. Somebody has to be the one to say, you know, you know, no more. And what we're seeing again is this very long pattern of people being willing to say that in private but not being willing to say it in public because they're always hoping that somebody else will solve this problem for them and therefore it never gets solved.
1: Yeah, two things on this. One, I I just want to sort of revise and extend my remarks. I knew that these guys were going to be cowards and and and, and I knew on January 11th that Kevin McCarthy wasn't going to actually hold them accountable even if Kevin didn't know it himself. But I don't think that that means that they couldn't have. And I do think that that right now, if you look at it from the perspective of here, April 2022, they did have to your point, they did have an off ramp. had Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy at at all locked arms. And this is why you can't leave Mitch out of this, because Mitch is 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 just as guilty, if not worse than Kevin McCarthy, because McCarthy is such a coward. And Mitch was calculating this the whole way. Had they locked arms, they locked arms and they had they gotten 17 senators uh, to, to impeach and 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 remove and prevent him from running for office again. Uh, there would have been short-term pain. There would have been short-term pain. There may have even been violence. I mean, I, I think that, that they were legitimately scared of their own voters at that time, and so it would have required courage. Would have required actual courage, which we knew these guys don't have. But but just as a counterfactual, now here we are now, and we're about to move on here in this podcast talking about communist Disney and Ron DeSantis and all the other things that these guys are. You know, the board, all the other th- outrages that they have. I think that their voters would have moved on They're, The voters would have moved on. They could, would have moved on to hating on Joe Biden. They would have moved on to the Disney enemy and, and there would have been some dead enders, but the, I think folks would have been happy to just move on to run DeSantis or whoever's next in
0: line. And, and and, and they could have done it and they just didn't have the balls. I think you're right. I, I think they would have moved on because our attention spans are so, are so short and yeah. if they had locked arms and said, okay, this is done, we have to, you know, turn the, the you know, turn the page. It's like, see, this is part of the irony of all of this is the Republicans have no shortage of things to get themselves worked up about. They have yeah. no shortage of things to be outraged about. Uh, they have no shortage of enemies, right? Um, and, and in many ways, having to constantly litigate 2020 is a distraction from yes. what otherwise is working pretty good for them. So these things cut both ways.
1: Like when, when these audio comes out, you you have to know there's some people in these conversations that are like, maybe we maybe here's our another alpha, maybe here's our opportunity because they want this guy to disappear. Right? That, that's what that's what not all of them, but that's the what Democrats many of them will take
0: care of it for us. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's what many of them want somebody'll take care somebody'll take care of it for us. Maybe he just won't run. And, and here they are again, it's the same calc- right now where they sit right now today is the same place they sat on January 5th. Yeah. We have to humor this guy so that we can win these two Georgia Senate seats. We we have to do it. And, and they did it and, and they lose so the seats well. anyway. And then the next day the, the Capitol gets stormed; Five people die. Right. And today they're doing the same thing. Let's just, we'll just humor this guy through the midterms. Right. And then Ron DeSantis can come in and save us. Or then, you know, the hamburgers, you know, the, the actuarial tables will save us. Or then whatever. You know, the voters might come to their senses. Who knows? You know, and so they just keep, keep kicking the can, keep kicking the can. We're near seven of nobody actually showing any balls and 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 uh, and that is why as delicious as this is and as wonderful it is it's also just like the same damn story that we've been
0: talking about it is the same damn story over and over again this time we have the tapes in in case there was any doubt you know you know for five six years we've been telling the story well in private they say x y and z but then they turn around and say something opposite And at some point I can imagine people are going, really, do they really say this? Well, now, now, you know, okay, so let's turn the page. Shall we, Tim? Jonathan's book on that, by the way, Jonathan and Alex, they're doing great work. This is great work. All right, let's, uh, let's you and I turn the page now and talk about what Ron DeSantis and the Florida Republicans just did and what it says about uh, the future of the Republican party, because I think this is a rather extraordinary moment. So let's talk about that right after this. So if you wake up every morning thinking, I wish this bag under my eye would just go away, you're obviously not alone because bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women until now. Introducing the new GenuCell Serum with plant stem cell technology from Shamanix. Susan from New Jersey wrote, I've been using GenuCell for a couple of months and the puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and the small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love your product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids. So not only Susan, folks, I know people who use it and who love it. And with its instant effects, you will see results in the first 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. During the Genucel Mother's Day sale, you can save up to 50% off all Genusel products at GenuCell.com now. Go to GenuCell.com bulwark, GenuCell.com bulwark. Order today, and Shaman X will include a surprise luxury gift absolutely free. GenuCell.com bulwark, GenuCell.com bulwark. That's GenuCell dot com slash bulwark all right we are back with tim miller acting with extraordinary speed the republican dominated legislature in florida has voted to strip disney of its uh, its tax status we can talk about whether it's a you know how special that tax status is but the one thing i think is pretty obvious is that they acted in pure retaliation for Disney's position on LGBTQ rights, the opposition to the uh, gender education law just passed by the legislature. And what's extraordinary about this, Tim, is kind of how naked the use of the mailed fist of government to punish uh, a private uh, corporation for its political positions is and how widespread the support in the right-wing media is for all of this. So this is not just a one-off pretty much across the board, with the exception of Charlie Cook over at National Review. You see right wing media just applauding Ron DeSantis. Go, let's attack all of these private companies. So, you know, once again, world turned upside down. Screw the free market, you know, screw Citizens United and all of that. It it is kind of a, a reminder that we're kind of in a new stage of the culture war, aren't we?
1: Uh, we are. And um, I, I want to get to your exact point in a second. But I do just want to just take the lens back a minute and just do a little bulwark um, sure. victory lap on this. Because I saw in the middle of February, that this is was going to be a shitstorm of epic proportions. And this was coming down the pike and that everybody needed to take it seriously. And I was not getting booked to talk about it um you know that i think that there was obviously social media discussion about this but i think that there was a sense that this was some, kind of some crazy thing going on in the florida legislature and and we we're on this from the start and and it is not only just going to envelop florida politics but it's coming to everywhere i mean there are 19 now other states where a similar type of bill has been introduced um and and it was something that that you know, I, I, we uh, we sniffed out. And one of the reasons why we sniffed it out is I saw the conservative media uh, 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 circle the wagons on this. And it was, it was really when I saw Ben Shapiro over oh. on his show go full-throated in defense of this bill and say explicitly that he wanted teachers to be targeted, that he wanted them to be scared, that he did not feel like gay teachers had any rights to talk about themselves. I saw that and I was like, man, this is not American greatness. You know, say what you want about Ben Shapiro. Um, not... Uh, certainly, nowhere near where we've been on Trump, but but he but he's tended to like hew towards the middle of yeah. where the party is, right? Like not the most extremist MAGA stuff, but but the the middle, normal crazy, standard crazy within the party, right? And I right. was like, man, if he's coming full for this, and if DeSantis, you know, mm-hmm. who's the heir apparent, is pushing this, this is this is it. This is this is coming, and and now and now you know we see that as exactly right, and what we have here is like basically Chick-fil-A part do, but on the, on the inverse. Right. And, and that is, and this is how things are turned upside down uh, to your point, Charlie, is that the whole point back during the the Chick-fil-A saga of the 2010s was that in certain places, you know, Democrats, um, you know, wanted to punish Chick-fil-A for being anti-gay. And, you know, there were like cities that like, we're, we're not going to give Chick-fil-A a, uh, you know, we're not going to approve their, you know, Airport whatever it is. Or yeah, or, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to approve them for co- coming into our city. And, and that was wrong um but, but it ended up becoming more than that right just this big cultural fight about you know should we be boycotting it and then republicans started like having chick-fil-a at their yeah, <laughs> at the republican conferences you have to you have to order chick-fil-a now you know in order to support the support our team and and that was you know kind of the embers of this um, um starting and 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 now you see all of the things that Republicans said during that time about the left, which is like that they're bullies and they're targeting us, which which had a hint of truth in certain cases. Um, uh, now they are doing the exact same thing. And it's the same thing as in sports. You know, you used to say, well, ESPN is so woke, you know, ESPN is so woke, we, we want to get politics out. Like this was where the Republican posture started. We need po- politics out of corporations. We need politics out of sports, politics out of, like out of movies. And the liberals are just trying to stuff this down our throats. And, and, and now that posture has changed and, and, and no, no longer, you know, is that where they stand. It is we need to stuff our political power down your throats. We need to stuff our, you know, political ideology and insert it into every aspect of American life. It's very pernicious and it is a complete flip from, you know, what the posture had been on the right for a long time.
0: Well, and it, and it's very very explicit, and it's very explicit that they will use that they want to use the power of government to get revenge against companies that take political stands they disagree with. And you mentioned Ben Shapiro, so here's two tweets from Ben Shapiro yesterday uh, as an as an indicator of where this is going. So he first he tweeted. If corporations choose to exit the free market by seeking media and legal dispensation from anti-market leftists pushing radical social values, whatever that means, uh, don't count on those of us who love free markets to defend you. Fuck around and find out. Of course, he had asterisk there, whatever. So, you know, corporations exiting the free market somehow. I mean, this is kind of this bent, you know, logic. Then he tweeted out corporations have an interest in lobbying on issues that directly impact their business. If they choose to engage in politics outside their purview, they will be treated with all the aggression inherent to the political sphere and they will deserve it. So again, no subtlety here. We will punish you for your political speech. These were people who five minutes ago were defending Citizens United, that said that there's, you know, corporations should be able to engage in corporations or people. Of, a, exactly. So can I just pull back the lens a little bit? Since yeah, you're you're a little obsessed with JD Vance, because I do think people need to understand the larger context of all of this. So there was a Vanity Fair piece about uh, JD Vance the other day and it quotes him, you know, talking about, you know, J.D. Vance, what he, you know, some of the things he was saying on a, on a very extreme right-wing podcast. He said, I tend to think we should seize the institutions of the left and turn them against the left. We need like a debathification program, a oh de program. And then he says, I think Trump is going to run again in 2024. I think that what Trump should do, if I was giving him one piece of advice, Fire every single mid-level bureaucrat, every civil servant in the administrative state. That would work out well. Replace them with our people. What could go wrong? And he goes on. When the courts stop you, stand before the country and say, um, claiming to quote Andrew Jackson, the chief justice (laughs) has made his ruling. Now let him enforce it. Okay, deep breath here. The whole concept now animating, you know, the right wingers like like Vance is revenge and ignoring the law, being willing to defy the rule of law, being willing to defy the courts. But again, it is this whole sense of revenge. Now, just bear with me for a second, because let's go back to Florida and uh, what Ron DeSantis did to punish uh, disney and by the way uh, charlie cook at national review did a great job pointing out that this quote unquote special status there are more than a thousand special kind of carve outs like this the villages has a special tax status daytona speedway the airport this is not that unusual but charlie cook made who we disagree with on many things he made a really interesting point he said you know a lot of people on the right are defending DeSantis's vengeance campaign against Disney as a sign that he's willing to fight in a victory for conservatism. He said, but this is silly because DeSantis and the Republicans had already actually won. The 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 the, the they got the the Florida law passed. It passed both houses. It was signed by DeSantis, who, you know, was defiant of you know of, of Disney. And he says, look. So there's no need for the Republican Party of Florida to salt the earth here. It has prevailed in every particular. So then what's the point? What is the point other than sort of raw, reflexive vengeance? I get everything I want to. There's no policy point in what they're doing to Disney other than to intimidate and punish them. And that's what's got people on the right really jazz up they like it and they want more of it okay i'm taking a really yeah. deep breath <laughs> now because you've yeah.
1: you're not, you're hitting all my yeah. anger yeah. centers uh ben shapiro charlie cook uh, jd vance i mean um uh, we'll start with charlie because he's the most mild of, of the group I do wonder if he's like been in a coma for six years because, yeah, that's what Republicans want. They want vengeance against the left and vengeance against our enemy. That's why Donald Trump was nominated and elected. That's why he rotate. that's why he remains the most popular person within the party. Uh, that's why exactly why Ron DeSantis is doing this. It's like look around, like this is the team you're on uh, same article, I agree with you. A good defense of why this is bad um also calls the do- the don't say gay Bill in Florida reasonable, so you know not not hundred yeah, yeah, percent yeah. with Charlie on the article right. um no. I'll going back to Ben Shapiro's argument really quick. And then I want to get to J.D. Vance because you're, because I'm so happy you went there and this stuff all does connect together. The notion that what Disney was doing does not impact their business, I, I think is very revealing, right? Hmm. Because for years, Republicans have been fine with corporations advocating for th- for various things that, right. that either directly or indirectly impact their business. The Cokes have done tons in politics, you know, advocating for obviously tax. This the, I guess Republicans think this directly impacts their business, right? Like if Ben Shapiro's mindset, if a corporation wants lower taxes for themselves, well, that's that's okay for the corporations to get involved in that kind of politics and that kind of political speech because that's a direct impact on their business. If a corporation wants you know to support veterans right and and wants to get some benefits from the government because they support veterans is that directly impacting their business like i guess kind of right it's like good pr um for corporations to impact veterans and they have some veterans that 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 work in their companies right and so if they're trying to get benefits from the government because of the way you know because of the way they treat b- veterans, then I guess that impacts their business. But for some reason, when corporations want to advocate on behalf of their staff at, who are upset with what go- with go- what government is doing that is that is marginalizing them or punishing them, that doesn't impact their business. Like Ben, Ben for some reason thinks that that the that this bill. In Florida doesn't impact Disney's business. Well, what about Disney has gay people that work there? Disney has trans people that work there. Disney have people who have kids in the schools that that are mad that they don't they have to live in Orlando because that's where Disney is based. And they don't want their kids going to a school in Orlando where gays are going to be discriminated against. That so so that stat so the people that work there get mad. I, I've got a newsflash for you, Ben Shapiro and others. There are a lot of gay people that work at Disney World. I don't want to be stereotyping, but you know the actor that's playing Prince Charming at Disneyland. Let's just you know, I, I think that you know we're going to have uh, a decent amount of gay staff, uh, you know, working at the Disney on Ice and the very the various Disney properties, and so so. The fact that they are upset that their kids or their friends' kids would go to a school where they're gonna be discriminated against and 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 yelling at their bosses about that and thinking about moving and thinking about quitting hell yes, this impacts. The actual uh, the, the actual company. And so, so this is, you know, how they justify it to themselves. Though they say that this is all just these companies being woke and, and blah, blah, blah. And, 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 you know, there's no hypocrisy here because companies can advocate for tax cuts and that's fine. But as soon as they advocate for gay rights, now that's outside their remit. And that is just a bunch of bullshit from the start. It is, it is just how the, how they how he justifies his hypocrisy, how he justifies his anti gay cruelty, and and how he justifies his act his activism on this. And in this case, they are no different than all of the people that they claim to hate um, on the left that targeted you know Mozilla or and actually they're they're worse than all those people because the people on the left that targeted Mozilla and Chick fil A were at least defending people's rights rather than trying to trying to, to limit people's rights. So that's on okay, so Ben. Do you have anything on that? before I move to J.D. Vance?
0: Well, one sidebar, though, on sure. all of this, and because this was all done so very, very quickly, and I don't think most people have paid real attention to the details of, of what this legislation will mean, and apparently it's got a delay to, like, 2023... Um, you know, to, to go into effect, uh, you know, because Disney has this special That's tax status, it means that there are bonds and there are debts and things like that, which will now be transferred to property taxpayers in the surrounding counties. And there are some estimates, and I'm not an expert in all of this, but there are some estimates that are being reported that this will raise people's property taxes throughout that entire area by an average of about $2,000 a piece of uh, per home. Um, there are all kinds of problems, not to mention the fact that look, this, this will, will be litigated. Um, it's going to go to court. Uh, Ron DeSantis knows that he knows he's going to spend a lot of money on that. And then he can blame, you know, liberal judges for, for not having it. But to your point about becoming what you, uh, claim to, to, to hate here, uh, and and how this all escalates. Imagine that, um, imagine if you had um, democratic legislatures and democratic governors decide, you know what? We're going to use our power to uh, to attack uh, Elon Musk Corporation, yeah. to go after the Koch brothers, to go after Thiel, uh, to go after, say, in Wisconsin and in, in Illinois, the Uline Corporation, by doing things about their infrastructure or their tax status uh, or their copyrights, very specifically targeted at punishing them for their political action conservatives would immediately recognize that as authoritarian. They would immediately recognize that as socialist, which, by the way, your buddy, the Democratic governor of Colorado, Jared Polis, who is a Democrat, put out a tweet referring to Ron DeSantis' attack on Disney as the authoritarian socialist, (laughs) socialist attack on private companies. And it was interesting. And I I hope that other Democrats notice that, you call them out on this, you turn these, you know, you, you turn the whole socialist thing on its head when you have conservatives who up till five minutes ago recognize why this would be very dangerous to have politicians designed to, you know, to punish private individuals for their political speech. And um, Jared Polis is turning it right around on Ron DeSantis and, you know, more of that, more of that. I think not only, yeah, more of that, but I think you make
1: a great point on the tax base and the jobs. This ties to everything, right? Like, I want to see more ads from the Democrats that that show Ted Cruz talking about Mickey and Pluto making love. You know, and it's like, right. this is what they care about. Okay. This is what they care about. They're passing legislation to deal with their, like, weird fantasies about, like, cartoon sex. Okay. and And what it's doing is punishing real people. It's punishing the people that are going to have to pay more taxes in Orlando. It's punishing people who are going to lose jobs in Orlando. It's punishing, you know, the families that are going to be discriminated against. Like that, like, like you're worried about inflation. They're not fucking worried about inflation. Like they're worried about like putting regulations on who Mickey can kiss in movies. That's not popular. Okay. So not only is it socialist, not only does it have authoritarian tendencies, which we will get into the J.D. Vance thing, but but it's also not popularist to your to your newsletter yesterday, and and I think that there are opportunities here to expose like where they are putting their focus, and I think there's certain ways in which they're overplaying their hand because right now Republicans don't feel like they have to be responsible for anything because the Democrats control everything, right? Right. And so they feel like they can just criticize, 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 but 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 they do. They're running certain states. They 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 ha- they are in Congress. Uh, it's a tied Senate, right? There are things they could be. If people's lives wanted to get better, there are things Republicans could be doing right now to help get their lives better and they're not because they want to punish gay people and punish their enemies like uh, they in, in corporations and and obviously it would be very easy to see you know and it would and you would know exactly what republicans would say if, if dem if the shoe was on the other foot on this to the jd dance yeah, go.
0: Ahead. and yet i think the things like this might Propel Ron DeSantis to the Republican nomination. Oh, yeah, sure. um, it's working right now. And and I think that the you know the line that you get from you know some of the folks the the National Review Rich Lowry folks is that well no he's just a normal Republican. He's a more competent version of Donald Trump, but you know in a lot of ways that is frightening because yeah. his, his his authoritarian socialist instincts are so raw. And, you know, Jonathan Chait wrote this yesterday, said what DeSantis is building in Florida is his blueprint for the country. And I don't think that's wrong. And I think that when you think of somebody who is competent um, with those instincts, in many ways will be be dangerous in a different way than Donald Trump, but also profoundly dangerous.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be excited, by the way, if there was a Democrat running for president in 2024 that like, you know, was running a a state right now and was like trying to punish Christians and trying to punish Elon Musk. Right, you well, know, would, you know exactly, what I mean. Like, yeah. if the shoe was on the other foot, I wouldn't be excited about that either. So, like, yeah, this notion that Ron DeSantis is something normal like is is crazy. They're they're saying it to convince themselves. They they've all convinced themselves of their own bullshit. The problem with Trump was the tweets. The problem with Trump wasn't the tweets. No, okay, no. it's the it's the it's the authoritarian bent of the Republican Party, and which takes us back to my friend JD Vance. And, and the, uh, there has never been a more mask is off quote than that quote that you read in the in the in Vanity Fair, right? And, and this notion. Which was it's an apocryphal quote about uh, Andrew Jackson, but the idea that you'd want Andrew Jackson as a model in the first place is a little is a little concerning. But um, it's it's a fake quote. But but this notion that 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 what Trump should do if he's to get back in there is, is to is to act extra legally, extra constitutionally a- against the Constitution a- and challenge this and basically dare the Supreme Court to come to come f with him. Okay, that's what JD Vance is calling for. He's saying yes. that the Donald Trump should should deliberately break the law, should deliberately break the Constitution, and then and then stare down John Roberts and say, "Where's your army to come for me?" That is that is so far outside the bounds of of what has been advocated for within our politics during my lifetime.
0: It's explicitly post constitutional. It's an acknowledgement that it's illegal, that the courts would rule against you and then simply refuse to refuse to follow the law. That's what he's talking about. Yeah. And so, I mean, in, his, in this case, he's talking about it
1: for, for hirings and firings. But think about what that could extend to. Like, uh, you know, it could it could extend to so many things. And he's right, by the way. And this is the scary part about it is that the Supreme Court doesn't have a <sighs> – doesn't have, doesn't have an army. And so, right? And so this whole time – and this is where I get – and this is how we circle it all back to our friend Charlie Cook and Rich Lowry. This whole time, the people like them, Cook and Lowry and, and, and their ilk, which is a very wide ilk within the party, like their whole case around Trump was, you know, he's a big metal finger to the country, but, but our institutions will hold, are the norm, the norm, the institutions basically held, right? Like, yeah, five people died at the Capitol. But like yeah. all things considered, you know the Muslim ban didn't go through, and you know a lot of his worst ideas didn't happen. Uh, yeah, Richard always explicitly made this case, and it kind of helped that he was a, that he was a wild card because you know it kept our enemies on their toes, and and all of his bad ideas about foreign policy didn't really come to pass. Um, you know that's the argument. Now you have the leading Republican candidate for Senate in Ohio making explicitly the opposite argument which is that was is that we need the institutions and the norms to not hold that the problem with the last 4 years was that the institutions held too much and and we need Trump to to break through them even more and, and yet silence from those yeah. quarters silence from the quarters of the you know you would think that if 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 rich and charlie and all those guys were true to their convictions the 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 that you know, that they really didn't like the anti-democratic parts of Trump and, and that they they were happy that the institutions held, that there would be a full frontal attack on J.D. Vance and say, you know, say that we want Dolan or or, you know, uh, Gibbons or one of the other candidates who, who have their own problem. You know, Dolan's pretty good, actually, but Gibbons are one of the other candidates who has their own problems. Uh, and we want to push one of them instead because because this is
0: really dangerous. But you don't see that. That's a tell as well, right? That they keep saying that. Well, you know, the guardrails held, but um, again, once again, they're looking around, looking over their shoulder, and thinking, "Well, somebody else is going to defend these things, right? Somebody else is going to draw the line." Yeah. Well, they wouldn't go that it'll far. They'll just be well, one well, senator. We'll, it'll, we'll, it'll, it'll we'll still hold. To go along with that. I mean, this is part of the problem where they've rolled over, you know, again and again. But this whole fantasy that somehow that you know that. DeSantis would really, you know, you never Trumpers should get behind DeSantis because DeSantis would be, you know, the the best alternative. You know, Ron DeSantis is basically saying, you know, I, I'm going to be Trump without the stupid tweets, but perhaps with um, less, less actual restraint on on my use of power. And this is the other thing. I mean, I, I, I'm i going to repeat myself here, but the fact that you have the conservative media cheerleading all of this gives you an indication of just how dramatically uh the republican party and the conservative movement has changed that it that it has that it is more and that even if donald trump disappears tomorrow you're going to be having to deal with these uh uh, with these forces that have been released, um, you know, in- including the, you know, the forces of, you know, hyper-masculinity. And, you know, we need to, we need to, you know, fight to re- restore men's testicular fortitude <laughs> because otherwise, you know, our testosterone levels will fall. And this is the world we live in, Tim. I
1: thought we'd make it through this podcast without talking about ball tanning, but, you know, I guess maybe that was a...
0: That was this yeah. week, though, right?
1: It was, I mean, it was on Monday. Know, like just, uh, Monday, yeah. I was like, I guess I'm probably not going to get into the testicle tanning on Charlie's podcast. It'll been five days, and you know, we'll have moved on. But uh, you yeah. know, I'm here still we
0: are. I'm, I am still traumatized. Well, anyway, <laughs> Tim, Tim, thanks for coming on, and uh, have a great weekend. You too, Charlie. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining me here each weekday. And also, I want to give a shout out to our Bulwark Plus members who helped underwrite this show and keep everything we do at the Bulwark sustainable. You might think that a Bulwark Plus membership is all about our newsletters, like my daily morning shots. But really, Bulwark Plus membership is about a lot more than that. We're building a community of independent-minded, concerned patriots who value democracy and the truth. We make most of what we do free and accessible by everybody because you can't help save democracy from behind a paywall but we do have some great member-only benefits that I'd like to share with you because in addition to our newsletters, members have commenting privileges and also have access to ad-free versions of this show and all of the podcasts in the Bulwark Network, like Sarah Longwell's Focus Group podcast and Mona Charen's show, Beg to Differ. And there's the Thursday Night Bulwark, a live video broadcast that we host for members each week on Zoom. You can give Bulwark Plus membership a try for the next 30 days for free simply go to the bulwark.com slash Charlie to claim your free trial today. That's the slash Charlie. The Bulwark podcast is produced by Katie Cooper with audio production by Jonathan Siri. I'm Charlie Sykes. Thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. And we'll be back tomorrow. I'll do this all over again.